Welcome to the Limitless Grit Podcast, where we have conversations with social entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and ordinary people who are achieving extraordinary results. And now, here is your host, Shristi Gajarel. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Limitless Grit Podcast. Super, super pumped about sharing today's story, which is with Kristen Adiz. So how I found out about Kristen is when I was researching for my trip to Everest Base Camp, I didn't know what to buy or what someone needed to trek you know, a mountain. So I was just researching on Google and I found her website, which was so helpful. I'm going to put all her information in my show notes. So I found her website and I went on her website and I was There is information about solo traveling, where you need to travel in basically every single country in the world. So her website helped me a lot with my own trip. And, you know, whenever I'm traveling or whenever I'm doing something, I go to her website and I find some valuable information there. So that's how I found out about her. Then I did some research on her and I found out that she was an investment banker who quit her job to travel around the world. And she's been traveling for years alone and she is rocking it so I wanted to share her story I wanted to see how she does it and you know how people who are listening to my podcast can do that as well so I hope you enjoy her story I hope she inspires you to travel and be more adventurous as she has inspired me and I hope you enjoy the story so without further ado everyone Kristen Adiz hey Kristen welcome to the podcast thank you so much for being here thank you for having me of course um so I wanted to ask you this question um so you were an investment banker you were in a serious relationship what made you quit your job and travel solo so I was living in Southern California at the time it's where I was born and raised and I just really felt like what I was doing was not in line with what I thought a fulfilling life was supposed to be So I had studied abroad in Taiwan when I was 21. I was uh, on a language scholarship over there, and it really opened my eyes to other cultures. But I came home because I was in this big hurry to get started on life, I guess. And I always felt like something was missing and that maybe the American way was not the only way to live a life. So after getting an injury in my shoulder and needing surgery for that, It was kind of a moment that made me say, hey, life's not a guarantee. I mean, I know it was just this little injury, but it it did lead me to this breakthrough moment, which just caused me to reevaluate things and take some action. So, like, I mean, investment banking is a very comforting job, and I work in finance as well. And, I mean, for me to even take a break for a month or two, I probably have to think for a long time. Like, how long did you think before you made that decision? And how was your family's reaction? It was not an immediate decision to action. Um, it took about a year, really, to solidify everything and to just to get myself to go do it. Um, it's not, not usually an impulsive thing to completely sell off everything that you have and go travel Uh, It may sound like that, and that certainly does sound very sexy, but the reality (laughs) is it takes some planning, especially financially, and the thing about my family is they were supportive because they know that this was important to me and that I was going to do it either way. I think that that's sort of what I've demonstrated throughout my life, Mm -hmm. so it probably didn't come as that big of a surprise. Did you have any backup plan? Were you like, 
I'm gonna travel for five six months and come back and maybe do my job or like you were like you knew you just had to leave and not come back I, I felt more like I had to leave and not go back to that old life in a cubicle. I really wanted to avoid that or at least to do something that was a little bit more artistic and creative because finance for me doesn't utilize my best skills. Mm-hmm. And so it was just more of needing to completely start over. And my backup plan was basically my savings. I just figured I'm not going to let myself live in a cardboard box. I'm mm-hmm. going to make sure that I always have a rainy day fund so that if the worst should happen, I can start anew. So how did you plan about savings? Like how much savings does one need to travel? for that extensive period of time? Well, I know that I'm a somewhat different case here because I just happened to have a bunch of savings from my old job. Mm-hmm. Um, it paid it paid well, and um, I worked really hard at it for four years. So I knew that I was saving money for something. I just didn't know what. I, I was always, I always have been a frugal person. So in the case of other people, though, it's just about dedication and really reining in what you spend your money on, really taking account of everything and looking at some really expensive habits that we all tend to have, like entertainment or coffee out or meals out. There's a lot of places where you're spending a lot of money that you probably didn't even realize you could be doing for cheaper or even for free. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, you've also like traveled to China, I mean, hitchh- hitchhiking through China alone. And I think you've traveled to like six out of seven continents. What, did you decide to do this all at once or it just happened as you kept traveling? My first focus was Asia. Uh, Taiwan had never really left my mind and my heart, but I wanted to see other parts of Asia because Taiwan was already quite familiar to me after living there for nine months. So I thought I would go to Southeast Asia where I knew my money would last me a while while I got my travel writing and photography going. Mm-hmm. So my money was just worth two to three, even four times what it was back at home in these countries. And it allowed me to travel on a shoestring and make my money last. Then um, after Asia, you just like kept traveling. Then I decided to branch out and go to Europe for a little bit because I realized it didn't have to be super expensive. I live in Berlin now as a result of that initial voyage over here. Mm-hmm. And then I went down to South Africa because it also is not that expensive and I came to realize that much of the world is not that expensive. (laughs) It's true. That's true. I think someone from your trip said like long-term travelers are either running away from something or towards something. Do you feel like were you running away from something or towards something? That's so funny because that's a conversation I had with someone my second month into my travels and I don't know if I completely agree that you have to be running because at this point I still travel just for the thrill of the adventure and because I love going out on photography sort of expeditions. It's my bread and butter. I am in such a beautiful state of flow when I'm doing that. And so for me now, it's actually just a pleasurable activity. The life you're living, right? I want to live that life and I have conversations with people in my circle and everyone wants to just quit and travel but I feel like you are such a good writer. I've read all your content and you are so great at photography and you know you 
provide so much value to people who go to your website. So for people who might not be as great of a writer as you are, if they want to have some source of income, what can they do to be a consistent traveler? Well, first of all, thank you. I'm glad that you find it so helpful. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> I just want to tell my listeners, like, if you need any help in regards to traveling or packing, you should definitely check out her website. It is amazing. Yeah, that's BeMyTravelMuse.com. And I also have a couple of books that I've written, one of which you just referenced. Yes. And the, the other one is Conquering Mountains. It's the guide to solo female travel. And so there's a lot of suggestions in there, actually, for how you can find work when you're on the road. But I would just say, first of all, can you do what you do now remotely? And if the answer is yes, either figure out if you can somehow talk your current employer into letting you do that or if you can go it alone and freelance. And then be clever about how you market your services and charge what you're worth and do really good work. And I believe if what you put out there is consistently really good and you're working on your passion, that it should work out for you. But just prepare for it to be lean at first. That's how it is to be an entrepreneur. Mm. And you've been featured in like, um, a lot of big magazines like Inc. Magazine and and I've read your book, your memoir, and first year seemed really hard for you, like just getting used to everything or meeting new people. How long did it take for your work to be known? The first year, that's true. It was just me really putting work into a passion, but enjoying the traveling as much as I could too and just telling the story. So... It took about two years for me to finally start making some tangible money off of my blog and associated writing. And that was mostly freelancing, where that was coming from. And then at one point, you just kind of level up and all the things that you've been working so hard on align. And I would say around year three is when it became a legitimately lucrative job. And now it's quite a lucrative job. So it's been a process, but at each point I've been able to sort of level up and I think that comes back to passion. So I don't think that that's something only I can do. I think that that's available to everyone. So like, did you reach out to these freelance jobs or were you um, like contacted by them? It was a mix of me applying for opportunities and people seeing my work online and reaching out to me to ask if I would like to contribute. So it's definitely, it was very important, key to have an online portfolio of my work. And also, while I was reading your memoir, the first you know, year you were in Thailand and Cambodia and like just traveling through Asia, um, were you scared just to travel by yourself? I was, but not for the reasons most people think. I mean, I wasn't afraid of there being heavy crime issues. Uh, having lived in Taiwan before, I just, I didn't, I have an understanding sort of of Asian culture, which is just a lot more um, communal and generally more peaceful. So the amount of violent crime over in Southeast Asia in general is pretty low. And that didn't worry me as much as spending a lot of time with myself worried me. <laughs> I figured that I would be so bored and so lonely. That was my biggest fear, but I was meeting people constantly and it was awesome. 
so how do you meet people like do you have like meetups or you know you just randomly run into people it is so easy step one look up what the best hostel is in whatever place you're going to step two stay there or hang out there if you really don't want to stay in a hostel but if you're in anywhere between like 17 and 40 years old i think that you could probably really enjoy staying in a hostel it not all are created equal that's for sure and you should pick and choose based on how the reviews look if it's a party place and that's what you want or not but that's how i met everyone oh wow and are people like friendly and open or like did you ever have a hard time like making friends that was the part that I didn't anticipate that everyone would be so friendly and approachable and easy to talk to and that's the beautiful thing about traveling you also like most people go for partying or most people go just to like you know for different reasons but like from reading a memoir or reading your blogs it looks like you're really immersed in the culture like you did 10-day meditation, and how was that experience like? I felt like I was getting away from my initial intent and purpose of my trip around Christmas, which would have been a solid two months into my trip, three months into my trip, September, October, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I just felt like it had turned into too much partying, to be honest with you, and I needed something else. So I had actually had the full moon party booked in Thailand for New Year's, and I decided, no, there's no way I want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I just was having a random conversation with someone, and he brought up that he had heard about this meditation. And so the next day I looked into it. I found one that started right on New Year's Day, and I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do instead, without fully grasping what I had signed up for. (laughs) Wow. It's intense. It's incredibly intense. Wow. You can't can't write. You can't read. You can't have any technology with you. They want you to have zero distractions. You can't speak. You can't really interact with other people. You're there to meditate. So that is... That's really something that I think everyone should try because it really helps you get control of your mind, but is not <laughs> is not easy. It was a vipassana. Yes. Oh wow! And it's free, right? Well, all of the different ones around the world do ask for a donation. So mm-hmm. this one, they have a set donation amount, which equaled ten dollars U.S. dollars per day. About mm-hmm. when I went, which was two thousand and thirteen. So what that's was, not too bad. <laughs> yeah. What was the hardest part about meditation? Because I want to do that too, and I've actually been planning doing it. But what was the hardest part for you? Well, the hard thing about getting into a state of meditation is really just shutting off your mind so that you can get there because things are just going to keep coming up and what what I realized very early on was that I had never really confronted or thought about what occupied my thoughts most of the time because there was always some kind of distraction that would pop up and change my thought process or my thought pattern but when you're at a meditation there's very little that can disrupt you and it's designed to be that way so that you can really see what's going on internally and that is Something I didn't realize was going to happen, but was really important. Yeah, that's powerful. And you did that, like, right around New Year's, too. Yes, they do it at the end of the month, every month at this particular um, monastery. It's called Wat Suen Mok in southern Ch- uh, Thailand. Mm-hmm. And 
so it fell right on New Year's, yeah. You know, like, what really fascinated me about your story, too, is, like, you just randomly had your first tattoo without even knowing what that was going to be. Like, how did you decide to do that? That's a fun story. Actually, I was in Chiang Mai, which is the biggest city in northern Thailand, and it's a blogger hub. It was then, <laughs> and it still is now, and this was about four years ago. So I met up with another blogger, and she has her whole back tattooed, and I could see it just because the top of her shirt dipped down a bit. So we got to talking about tattoos, and I told her that I wanted one, but I didn't have any yet, and I thought so much about it. So she told me about this magical monk tattoo that she planned on getting where you go to this monastery and the monk chooses what he's going to give you. He applies it with bamboo and a mix of things that make up the ink. Mm -hmm. And then you walk out of it with a new magical tattoo. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounded like the perfect thing the the exact thing I'd been looking for as far as a tattoo goes and so I went with her and we sort of became better friends that way and I came out to Berlin to visit her for the first time and it's funny because that's where I live now so you oh. can it's it blows my mind every now and then how one little thing can just change the course of your life oh my god and it just started with the tattoo Basically, well, no, it started with a tweet. It started with Twitter. <laughs> hey, who's in Chiang Mai tonight? I am. Do you want to hang out? Oh, my God. So what does your tattoo mean, the first one? Um, it's called the Sacred Five Lines. So this is one that you will often see for people who get sakyants for the first time. And it's supposed to be five different blessings to just help protect you throughout life. Wow, that's meaningful. You know, like, I mean, I talk with a lot of my friends, and I'm 23-year-old, and a lot of them are, well, oh, I want to, you know, just leave everything and travel. What advice would you give to a 23-year-old who is thinking about traveling for a year or so? Save up as much as you can, because the big thing that makes a trip end early is not being prepared as far as how much it's going to cost and really budgeting for all the things that you want to do. So I think as long as your budget is good, though, and you've got um, a solid plan for how you're going to save and where you're going to go, you should be okay. I think for most people, the issue is money. <laughs> yeah. And like reading your blog, you said that you, the most you ever spent was $93 per day, and that was in Iceland. And I think that's so cheap. Like, how do you budget like that? I figure out where I can scrimp and where I can, where I want to splurge. So I managed to actually get by for $30 a day in Cambodia. That's why I went there first. It's so cheap. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to food, I don't eat in fancy restaurants. I will eat street food because it's, in Southeast Asia at least, it's healthy. And a lot of them are actually healthy. It's very fresh. And I see the local people eating it. And it's also delicious. So if I see a place full of locals that isn't super fancy, it usually is delicious. <laughs> so one area is food. Or in the example of Iceland, we went to the grocery store, we bought stuff, and we were very clever with the menu so that we were never getting tired of what we had, but also never throwing anything away or wasting anything. So I'm also careful with my cooking which is something I enjoy doing. And I try to cook a lot in more expensive countries that don't have a super um, 
famous or interesting cuisine for me. I was I wanted to ask you about your trekking in Nepal. So I mean, I did Everest uh, last year, and I'm from Nepal, so. Even for me, I, w- I didn't want to do it by myself. I went from a foreign company and did it through them. And it was an amazing experience. And you being someone from the United States, you decided to trek to Annapurna Circuit uh, by yourself. Like, how did you decide to do that? And were you scared? I had met some other people when I was hiking in uh, Indonesia and in Malaysian Borneo, and both of them had told me about the Annapurna Circuit. And I just, after talking to them about it, it started to really make it a reality in my mind. So the next year, when I went out to travel Asia again, I knew I would be heading to the Himalayas to do this trek because I love hiking and I know that it's a popular trail. So I just wasn't worried about meeting other people. Mm-hmm. And then once I got there, I I met someone on the bus ride over to the trailhead who ended up being amazing and we're still friends. And she and I hiked it even quicker than I would have on my own because I had her really motivating me. But it was just, <laughs> it was a good time. We were just laughing and enjoying ourselves. And so just goes to show you don't have to worry about meeting people. You will meet people. <laughs> Do you believe in destiny? It looks like everywhere you go, you meet someone, you know, that becomes your friend or is helping you through the way. Well, it's interesting because I was with some friends whom I had met just a week and a half earlier in uh, on a beach in, in Mozambique. Mm-hmm. And it was Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, and we were all going around in a circle talking about what we were thankful for. And this guy from Australia said that every time he really needed something to come through or for some help to arrive in some way or for someone to just lend a hand, it always worked out for him. And he just, because of that, really believed in the good of people. And so that's what he was thankful for. And I was just almost in tears because... I feel that way too. So I think that there's some magic that you can uncover when you just trust in what's out there and you just know that it's going to end up okay because usually it's going to end up okay. Mm-hmm. But has there been any scary situation? Um, actually, in Nepal, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> I, it was the night before I was going to start my trek and I was in Pokhara, which is a town that you often stay in before starting the Annapurna circuit. Mm -hmm. And as you know, the electricity in Nepal just goes out every now and then. All the time. All the time. (laughs) So the power had just gone out and the sun had just set and you can't drink the water out of the tap in Nepal. It's not a good idea. So, (laughs) so I went out to buy some water for the night because I couldn't just get through the whole night without it. So as I was walking, it was pretty dark and someone grabbed me, grabbed my chest from behind and then ran away by the time that I even could start to react. I heard myself scream before I even knew what was happening. So I basically got sexually harassed in the street and nothing really happened. He ran away and I was just like, okay. (laughs) Oh and that's God. that's the only thing that's ever happened. So I don't know. I feel like that could happen anywhere. I don't I wouldn't want it to stop me from having adventures. And that was 
at the beginning of my time in Nepal, but I ended up staying for a whole month. Oh, so nothing like that happened after that, though? No, I, I, I've actually, in almost five years of traveling, most of it solo and on every continent except for Antarctica, I'm, I've been fine. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry about that. That's crazy. Well, there are bad eggs everywhere. Everyone in town was really surprised when they heard about it because they said that kind of thing never happens here. But obviously, there's a, it does. So. Yeah. And Pokhara is supposed to be like very tourist friendly. And I've been there and like it's one of the most friendliest places. So I'm very surprised. You know what? It looked like a young teenage kid. I'm just not surprised that that kind of thing happened, honestly. Yeah. And also with traveling, like when you were hitchhiking through China, you, you know, randomly met Ya Ting, who's a local local who decided to quit her job and travel through China too. And how was that experience, just hitchhiking through China? Oh, thank you for reminding me of Ya Ting. <laughs> <laughs> she was, she's just such a feisty woman who... I was I was in the dorms and because I had lived in Taiwan previously to study Mandarin, I do speak some Chinese still. And I was speaking to someone else in the dorm and she overheard me and she was just like, whoa, it's amazing <laughs> that you can speak Chinese. And I was, I was just really drawn to her because she was so energetic and magnetic. Mm -hmm. And I was, I thought it was really cool to meet a girl who was a couple years younger than I was, who was also a solo female traveler all the way in China, I don't, I think most of the time when people have this concept in their mind of China, they probably don't imagine this empowered young woman going across the country by hitchhiking. Mm -hmm. So that's what Yating is, or at least was though. So she um, inspired me so much because she had no fear. And so because she had no fear, I didn't either. Oh, wow. How did you even come up with the idea of hitchhiking through China? Totally her idea. Oh. <laughs> I, I can't take any credit for that. She was like, do you, do you want to try getting everywhere by hitchhiking? It's for free. And I was just like, I'll try. You seem to think it's such a good idea. You're not scared of it. <laughs> so I guess I'm not either. And then it was just like magic. Every time we would so much as raise our thumb, a car would pull over within minutes, sometimes seconds. And her theory was they just couldn't believe that they were seeing an, a, a local girl and this foreigner with their thumbs up. And that was always the case. They just pulled over because they were curious, like, what is going on here? Oh, my God. How long was it? And were there ever, ever like a crazy situation? Never a crazy situation. People are incredible in China. That's what I'm left feeling. Um, so sweet, so giving, and really take hosting seriously. And yeah, it was a really beautiful experience. I did about 2,000 miles, I think, and half of that I did with Yating, and half of that I did completely by myself because... At some point, when you both came from different directions, you're going to head in opposite directions. And so her trip was taking her elsewhere, and mine was continuing to take me up into the next province because I wanted to stay in the mountains and keep hiking. Oh, wow. So I decided, okay, now I'm going to do this by myself and see if I can do it. And it worked, and it worked again, and it worked again. That's pretty amazing. Um so if you, you know, like had 
to go back six years ago, would you have thought you would have done all this traveling? Oh my gosh. No, I keep thinking about that. Like, what if I could go back to myself six years ago and tell her all the crazy things that have happened? Wow. I would have, I would, first of all, I would never want to do that because it's so boring to know how things are going to end up. <laughs> you, I would think you would just lose all motivation. Um, but second of all, I think at every point in my life when I look back, there was probably a version of myself five years earlier who would have been really impressed with what I ended up doing. And I think most people probably that is true for. And if it's not, then all you have to do is decide to change it. Yeah. Do you ever think like if you didn't make this decision, what would have happened? I definitely think about the ghost lives that I haven't lived and some of them are pretty vivid all of the different paths I could have taken um, I will never know what decisions were the best ones because it's just all kind of a product of where I am at this moment so I think about it briefly but it's not something that I waste too much time on yeah I mean your life would have been so much different like investment banking you had like a long-term boyfriend you know it, it's just crazy how you just changed it yeah I probably well there's a few times in my life where I could have ended up married and pretty wealthy and with someone who I think in the end I just wouldn't have been super happy with and so that's why it was time to move on for for everyone involved yeah and I think with you, right, like you choose courage over fear. My whole podcast is about choosing courage over fear. And But were you always like that? Or, you know, it got to a different experimentation of you traveling that got to a point of where you became comfortable even hitchhiking in China with a complete stranger or, you know, just traveling in a mountain by yourself? Oh, I was scared. I still get scared was scared every time I was standing on the side of the road. I still think to myself, is this really a good idea? <laughs> but I also just, I guess I'm addicted to the adrenaline as well. And so it's both of these forces within me. And that one pushes me a little bit more. But there's all the stories that you aren't reading because of times that I did chicken out. So <laughs> it might seem easier for me. But and you know, maybe in some ways it is. But I think that you start to really trust what you're capable of doing when you try something and it works. And then you're like, Oh, well, what if I try this other thing? And it works. And then you start to develop this sort of fearlessness because you realize that most of the things that you're really afraid of never actually happen. That's so true. I completely agree with you. I mean, I flew through Lukla, I think it was just one of the most dangerous airport in the world um, to go to Everest. And that was my biggest fear in life. I don't think I've ever been scarier, like more scared in life. And it wasn't that bad. Yeah, I mean, once you walk out of it and you've survived, you're kind of like, okay, well, that's over, and now I'm going to move on. But, hey, good job handling that and doing it anyway. I just think when you are willing to sort of do the thing that scares you, you can come out of it with a new found respect for yourself. And I think, you know, for the longest time, I didn't realize how important it was to have this profound respect for myself. So that's something that everyone should really work on and discover within themselves as well. So true. I think you gain your own credibility. Yes. 
Um, I want to ask you some rapid fire questions to just get to know you a little better. Okay, let's try. <laughs> Yay. Um, so what are some of the common misconceptions about you? Common misconception is that I probably am super, uh, like, I love being by myself. And to be honest, that's something that only recently have I started to even be able to accept or make peace with. And it's something that I learned through the solo traveling that I think has been really important, but I actually spend a lot of time around people and enjoy it. And that was one of the things that was cool for me about traveling. Hmm. I mean, I would think like you love traveling by yourself too, but after reading your memoir, like I know that's not true. Um, what do people never ask you that you wish they did? I wish that people asked me what my next big exciting plan was because what people will often ask me is when I'm going to settle down and I'm just like look I built my whole life around not settling down I'm not gonna I don't have to settle down I'm not gonna settle down um, just the words themselves like settle down what does that mean you stop having adventures you stop moving you stop experiencing I don't want to settle for anything so I think it's more that people have a very typical mindset in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but there are so many possibilities out there. And that's why I encourage people to travel because you can really discover possibilities that you didn't know existed. True. So what's your next exciting big plans? Thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because yesterday I thought to myself, oh, I, I would really love to see those lavender fields in bloom. And so then I Googled the timing of it. And then I realized it's going to start in about a, a week or two. And then I asked a friend, hey, do you want to just go to France for like 36 hours with me and see the <laughs> lavender? And she was like, yeah, I do. And then I had booked everything within 10 minutes. So we're going to France in a week and a half wow. to see the lavender. <laughs> That's amazing. But do you ever feel like you're going to get married or have kids or you just want to travel? I don't think they're mutually exclusive. There's a lot of travel blogging families out there. There are so many people I've met during my travels who have one parent from one continent and one parent from another. And it just made me realize, well, you really don't have to fill these traditional roles. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but you don't have to go that way if you don't want to. There there's always other options. Whatever you can imagine, you can make it work. So if I do decide that I want to have a family and be married, I don't have to stay in one place and stop traveling to make that happen. And I just love that because for us, it's just like one way or the other. But like watching your videos or reading your blog or your book, it just opens a possibility to people in states or other countries as well that, hey, like that is possible. Yeah, that's what I really try to show. Yeah. So I'm glad that's what's coming across. <laughs> it is. Um, what's your favorite movie or documentary? My favorite documentary is called Crossing the Line, and nobody has heard of it. I bring it up all the time, and no <laughs> one seems to know it. It's about an American soldier in, in Korea during the Korean War who defected into North Korea, and they actually accepted him, and he's been living there doing anti-American propaganda films, you know, being the bad guy, the villain, and having what appears to be a pretty cushy life in Pyongyang. So I, I couldn't believe my eyes the whole time I was watching it. And 
No one seems to have heard of it. It's crazy. Oh, wow. Is it in Netflix? That's where I watched it originally. This was years ago, but Google crossing the line and maybe you'll be able to find it. I, I definitely will. I know you read a lot. What are some books you would recommend to our listeners? I read constantly. That's true. Um, the book that changed my mind the, or changed my life actually the most was the one that I read right before deciding to do the thir- the 10 day silent meditation. And it's called what makes you not a Buddhist. Now I think that the title is misleading. It's not a religious text. It's not a text about how you should become Buddhist. It's basically just describing the different ways that they approach life. And it has to do with accepting that the material things you have won't last forever. And kind of looking at life in a really different way from a different lens. And there's no plots to convert you or anything like that within it. So I think it's actually a really good text to read to understand Asian culture, but to also understand yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll definitely check it out. Um, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, just stop worrying so much about what other people think. It really, they're not thinking about you. They're not. They're thinking about themselves. It's okay. (laughs) You are too. You do it all the time. But we, we all think we're the main event and that we must be on the other person's mind all the time. So really stop and ask yourself, is it personal? Am I sure? Before getting upset. That's so true. What got you to the point to come to that realization? I think I it was something I was reading from the Dalai Lama, actually. <laughs> um, I read this kind of stuff a lot. And one of the things in there was really, you know, taking into account, is this something personal? And I believe this comes from the Buddhist religion as well, which I, I identify a lot with in a lot of ways. Yeah, I love Dalai Lama. Um, I think it's going to be hard for you to answer this one, but if you had to recommend three countries what are the countries you would recommend to our listeners and why for solo traveling in particular or just countries that i think are awesome um solo traveling and countries you think are awesome i know it's hard i think that Indonesia is a really good country to solo travel to because you're going to meet a ton of other solo travelers. I mean, that goes for most of Southeast Asia, but I pick Indonesia because there's a lot to do there. It's a huge country, actually. So if you like hiking or scuba diving or free diving, or if you just want to dance and party, or if you just want to have some really cheap food and go shopping, you can do all those things in Indonesia for not a lot of money. Let's see. I also think that South Africa is an amazing country because it's so beautiful and there's just so much to see there. The people are really friendly. Um, I've traveled there solo both times that I've been. Um, It's not the safest country in the world, but I think that if you live in a major U.S. city and you behave similarly in South African cities, you'll be okay. And then finally, I think that Iceland is awesome because it's the safest country in the world. There's so much amazing, beautiful stuff to see there. And it's also popular. So you're going to meet other people. Um, What is your definition of success? Having more free time. Okay. 
Um, and what is one quote or mantra you live by? It changes periodically, but right now I'm really liking what you seek is seeking you. Oh, that's deep. Okay. Um, so if people want to find you in social media, Facebook, where should they look, um, find you? So again, I'm Kristen Addis and I am be my travel muse, M-U-S-E on all platforms. So that includes Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and that's my blog URL as well, be my travel And you can find both of my books through that as well. Cool, cool. Last question, Kristen. What's your definition of courage? Uh, doing the thing you most resist doing. I mean, if it's on your mind and you keep resisting doing it, imagine how good it's going to feel when you do it. Oh, couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for your time, Kristen. Thanks for having me. Of course, appreciate it. Hey, you guys, thank you so, so much for listening to this podcast. I really, really appreciate your time. And if you enjoyed this episode, then make sure to subscribe because every single week I will come up with awesome and epic interviews like this one. And do not forget to check out my website, LimitlessGrid.com for show notes.